Uh, good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me, my name's Tony, and I have the privilege of uh, bringing God's Word to us today. So you might like to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be there this morning and read the first 10 verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen for you, but if you've got a Bible, have it open, uh, and you can follow through as we go. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into, into what then were you baptised? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptised with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had already to gather this morning and as we've heard in the name that is above every name, to gather together and confess the truth and reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we come to your word. We ask that you would take this, your word, by your Holy Spirit, and that you would bring it home to us and that Jesus Christ will be Lord in our lives as we hear his word and respond to it. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, as with every journey, it's always good to every now and again stop and kind of get your bearings as to where you are. And we've been journeying our way through the book of Acts for some time now, and so we're just going to stop and get our bearings a little bit uh, as to where we are this morning. Um, we're actually in Ephesus, as we read, and we're on Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, he's left Antioch, as you can see. I'll just see if I can work this thing. I can't quite remember how it works. Oh, there it is. Look at it. He, was, he left Antioch. He's come through the area of Cilicia, through, through Galatia, through Asia and down into Ephesus. Um, and uh, Ephesus, if you don't know, is a very significant city uh, in the ancient world. It was the home uh, to the temple of Artemis uh, of the Ephesians, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. But not only that, it's a really significant city in the spread of the gospel 
in the ancient world. Large sections, if you think about it, of the New Testament have a focus on the believers in this city, in the city of Ephesus. We have, for example, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which he wrote later on after being here where we are in Acts chapter 19 today. Uh, Timothy was the senior pastor, so to speak, of the church in Ephesus. And so we've got First and Second Timothy in the New Testament, written by Paul to Timothy uh, to guide him and direct him in his role as pastor of that church. Uh, it is said that the Apostle John spent significant time in Ephesus and perhaps even died there. Uh, but not only that, have a look in our, in our passage today at verse 10 as we think about the significance of what happened in the city of Ephesus. Verse 10 tells us that this continued, that is, Paul reasoning daily in the hall of Trenus for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Right? So he's in Ephesus for two years and the result of that time is that all the residents of Asia, that whole area, heard the word of the Lord, heard the message about Jesus, heard the gospel. So from this city, the word of the Lord went out from there. And churches during this time were birthed and established right throughout Asia Minor. The churches that Jesus himself addressed later in the book of Revelation, as we know the seven churches of Revelation, Sardis and Thyatira and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Pergamon and so on. Not only that, but there's Colossae in there as well. So we've got another uh, letter from Paul to the Colossian church that all started from where we are today in the book of Acts. He was there, in fact, for a total of about three years. And what we see today is what King Jesus did through the Apostle Paul and his colleagues while we were there, while they were there. So what is going on? Well, from our map, as we can see, the gospel is advancing throughout the world, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen as we started the book of Acts, wasn't it? Do you remember this verse? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, then fanning out a little bit into Judea and then out further into Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said would happen and that's exactly what we've seen through the book of Acts and that's exactly what we're seeing now. Here it's the same. Paul comes to Ephesus and he finds these group of disciples. They're an interesting group. People who, it seems, have heard the preaching of John the Baptist, that is the forerunner or the one who came before Jesus, preparing the way for him. They've heard the message of John the Baptist and they've believed that message by faith. But Paul discovers some things about them that they, yet, they need to hear. What was John's message? Do you remember what John the Baptist's message was? It was a message of repentance. Uh, this is... Uh, what we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And he preached, that's John, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, that is the Lord Jesus, uh, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, uh, to stoop down and untie. I have baptised you with water, 
but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And so as Paul comes to Ephesus and meets these disciples and probably suspects they're disciples of John, he says to them a really, really important question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? To which their answer is very telling, isn't it? We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean they didn't know anything about the Spirit of God? No, not likely. The reality of God's Spirit was not something unknown or new, but this is what they were most likely uh, expressing. They didn't know about the Spirit of God coming to us in this way. The idea of receiving the Holy Spirit, the personal, powerful presence of God himself in our lives. They didn't know about that. This is something radically and wonderfully new, brought about by the Lord Jesus and possible only through the Lord Jesus. Hence, John's comment, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And so what we have here are people who have heard John's call to repentance. They've received this message by faith, but that's where it stopped for them. And so Paul discovers this. He fills in the missing reality of Jesus for them, and they respond in faith. They hear the message, they are baptised in the name of Jesus by faith and as Paul lays hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes on them and we have another, if you like, mini Pentecost that we have seen a number of times in the book of Acts. Every time uh, the gospel spreads further and further and people who are, are not expected to be included in God's people hear and respond to the message of Jesus, the Spirit testifies that God is bringing these people in as well. Here's, here we have that again. So this takes place and then Paul does what he often does. He enters, or in fact what he always does, he enters the synagogue and we're told for three months he speaks boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He goes and preaches in the synagogue about God's kingdom. This would have been a message new to them, a message of God's savouring rule and reign through his king. Not completely new, but new in the sense that Paul is proclaiming Christ as that king, as that Christ, crucified for sinners and risen to reign. But as often is the case, Paul soon faces significant pushback and Opposition to this message, verse 9 tells us, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation he withdrew from them and taught, sorry, and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So Paul finds himself in this hostile environment, he, and so he pulls out of the synagogue. Do you notice what he doesn't do, though? Do you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't shut up shop, does he? 
He doesn't shut up shop. He doesn't stop proclaiming the kingdom of God, even in the face of this opposition. He doesn't stop telling people about Jesus, even when there's serious pushback. The only thing that changes is the address. I went down to Cannington yesterday and I noticed that uh, one particular shop was no longer there. And it had this sign on the door, we are relocating. I wonder if Paul put a sign up somewhere saying, we are relocating. We're just down the road now in the hall of Tyrannus, which was a, uh, either a lecture hall or, a, or maybe a school building, basically a community facility that Paul could hire to hold his gatherings. Uh, not unlike what a church plant would do these days. Right, looking for somewhere to meet. Where can we meet? Oh, there's the there's the you know the Agonis Centre, or that we'll hire that and we'll we'll gather there in the afternoon. It's busy in the morning, but it's free in the afternoon. And it would seem that uh, Tyrannus probably had it in the morning. And once everyone got to the middle of the day, which was siesta time, uh, the hall was free after that. And so Paul took it in the afternoon. Um, often, what church plants will do. Maybe not the frequency though. Did you notice the frequency here? Reasoning. How often? Daily. Daily, reasoning daily in the hell of Tyrannus for two years. That's a lot of gatherings, a lot of, a lot of meetings. But again, the remarkable thing is the effect, the fruit of this gathering. Verse 10, all the people of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's stunning. To think about that. Yes, there's opposition, but my goodness, the fruit of this ministry. All because they didn't shut up shop when it got tough, but kept proclaiming Jesus. Now, unlike, unlike other times, Paul had to flee, didn't he? Because the opposition was so serious. Um, but here it seems that God gave Paul and his group of followers a period of settled, and fruitful gospel ministry for two years. Remember Jesus previously actually prevented them from going there. Do you remember that? They were trying to go there and they were prevented by God because he wanted them to go to Macedonia at that point. But here, now he's giving them a settled two-year period in Ephesus to proclaim Jesus. God is sovereignly working out his purposes. The gospel is going to the nations. And so from here, the word of the Lord spread far and wide. The word about Jesus, people not only heard it, but responded to it and were saved. And as a result, all these churches were birthed and established. Yes, there was opposition, but there were many saved through the gospel. Now, it's a nice story. What a great account of King Jesus at work, through his people, by his spirit at this time, of people powerfully uh, receiving the gospel in Ephesus and beyond throughout all of Asia. But what about us in our day? Where does this account, this narrative, this event or these events land for us this morning as followers of Jesus seeking to live for him in 2022? I want us to see two key things from this account this morning that are clear for us to focus on that will both encourage us and challenge us. And the first is this. The blessing of God's Spirit through faith in Jesus. The blessing of God's Spirit through faith 
in Jesus. And we see this again in verse 2 when Paul asks this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And especially in their response, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. You've got to love this, right? Essentially they are saying, is this really possible? Is that really possible? Receive the Holy Spirit? Really? Really? They're asking the right question, I reckon. And so should we. Because think about this with me for a minute. What are we talking about here? Or more to the point, who are we talking about here? We are talking about the Holy Spirit of God. We are talking about the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We are talking about God himself, his personal and powerful presence. He is holy. And we are talking about us receiving him. We are talking about this God taking up residence in us, which is fine until you think about yourself for a minute. About who it is who's receiving him. You see, I know what I'm like. And I'm guessing you know what you're like. I know I am not holy. Unlike the Holy Spirit of God. Which must point us, friends to the wonder of what God has done for us through Jesus. It must take us there. What is that? Through faith, get this, God has made us suitable vessels for his Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Through Jesus... God has made us suitable vessels for the Holy Spirit. And he has done this through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. So sufficient is what Jesus did for us on the cross. So comprehensively did he deal with our sin and our corruption and our shame and our guilt cleansing all of it away, that through faith in Jesus we can be made and are made suitable vessels for his Holy Spirit. Isn't that astonishing? Now before Jesus, you, got, you couldn't come near the presence of God like that. 
You, you would go to the temple and you, you would bring your sacrifice, but you would only come you know, to a certain point and no further. The Holy of Holies, the very place where the presence of God dwelt, was only entered once a year by one person and he went in with a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. The rest of us were, were still a long way off from the presence of God. But what is he saying here? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? As we put our faith in Jesus, as he deals with our sin for us because we could never deal with it ourselves, we, by faith, can receive the Spirit of God, God's personal and powerful presence to be with us, to be in us, and to never leave us. This is Christianity, friends. These are some of the things that sets it apart. This is the good news of the gospel. The beauty of it. The wonder of it. That we could know God that intimately and that personally and that powerfully. The blessing of God's spirit through faith in Jesus. Now, some of you know we're in the middle of kind of negotiating with builders and so on about building a house. And uh, one of the things that we're on the lookout for in that process, and you are too if you're ever entering into any kind of agreement of significant um, value, you're looking on the lookout for someone who doesn't over-promise and under-deliver, right? That's why you have contracts that you sign so that you can lock in what's been promised to make sure that it's delivered. Friends, we don't need to do that with God. He doesn't overpromise, but He promises Himself to us in the person. Of his spirit. And he secures that promise through the death of his son on the cross. He delivers. So, Paul's question is a really important question, isn't it? For all of us. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed. Or to put it another way, have you been saved by God and indwelt by God through Jesus as you've turned to him? Notice he doesn't ask them, have you been good? Have you done enough good things to weigh up the bad things? He doesn't ask them, do you go to synagogue regularly or church in our context? He doesn't ask them, are you a good person? Did you grow up in a Christian home? No, the important question is this. Have you turned from sin 
and trusted in Jesus. And as a result, have you received the Holy Spirit in doing that? That's the important question. And that's the important question for us. Maybe it's the important question that you need to answer before God for yourself. And if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you haven't yet turned to Jesus in that way, you can today. You can today. You can come and, and, and turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus today without bringing anything with you and receive his salvation and God's personal and powerful presence in your life. What's the date today? Come on, 28th. You could mark that date down as the day that happened for you. The other thing that we notice here is the importance of repentance and faith. See, these guys, these, these, these disciples of John, they had repented, if you like, but they needed also to come to faith in Jesus. So what we see here is how these two things need to go together. One, one you need to turn from living life your way, with, you know, regardless of what God wants, and you know, just kind of ruling your own little kingdom, turning from that and turning to King Jesus and bowing before him and trusting in him to save you. Those two things have got to go together. You can't do one without the other, right? You can't turn to Jesus if you're not going to turn from your little kingdom with your little crown. Unless you're going to put that crown away, you can't, you can't actually turn. You haven't turned. You can't turn to Jesus without doing that. And, and you can't kind of turn from sin either for very long unless you turn to Jesus because you know what's going to happen. If you just turn from sin, you'll probably... Turn back if you don't turn to Jesus and, and receive that new life and receive that enabling by his grace and by his power and by his spirit to live differently from what you've turned from. So those two things go together. They're the two sides of one coin. Repentance and faith. Turning from and turning to. And then just to come back again to the wonder of God's spirit. I, I'm not sure I have words to describe this? I'm not sure that you do either. I'm not sure I live in the reality of that as much as God intends me to each day. Powerful presence of God by his spirit with you and in you wherever you go and whatever you do. From the mundane and the ordinary to whatever else you might find yourself engaged with. The blessing of God's spirit through faith in Jesus. The second one is the advance of God's kingdom in the face of opposition. We've seen this again and again and again in the book of Acts, that there is often strong opposition whenever the good news of Jesus is spoken. Often serious pushback. Sometimes they're ridiculed. Sometimes they're physically harmed. We saw them beaten with rods a few weeks ago. Here, spoken evil of. Um, 
though it happens in different ways, is often pushback. And I think what we see is that it actually seems to be the norm rather than the extraordinary or the unusual. It's the norm. I think that's the point. In fact, it's what Jesus kind of, you know, more than alluded to with his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He's preparing them for some kind of pushback, isn't he? One of the songs we sing that we sung last week has this line in it. Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. Push back against the message of Jesus and his kingdom is normal. It's par for the course. Now, it's important just to say that we need to make sure that's why we're getting it, if we're getting the pushback. Uh, Not because we're being legalists or some kind of moral policeman in everyone's lives, firing off judgmental comments at people along the way, or worse, typing them on social media. That's not pushback for the gospel. That's pushback for being self-righteous more often than not. What we see here in all of Acts, it's pushback for telling others about Jesus. That's what the pushback is. And that it's to be expected... And that it's something we probably need to come to terms with. That it's the norm when we speak about Jesus that we'll get some pushback. Why do we need to come to terms with that? Because if we don't, there'll be no mission. We won't do it unless we come to terms with it. If what people think of us and us and people liking us is more important, then we won't we'll never open our mouths. If we recognise that it's normal, we need, yes, we need to make sure that it's for talking about Jesus and not being annoying. Right? Then if it's normal, then we may open our mouths. But more than that, there's another vitally important point here that will help us open our mouths and it's this although there's pushback many people welcome the good news of Jesus everywhere they go in Acts this is the case first as we come to this chapter there's 12 men who are baptised in the name of Jesus. Then there are those in the synagogue who become disciples of Jesus. And then for two years, the gospel advances throughout the whole of Asia. Vast numbers of people are brought into relationship with God through Jesus because they kept speaking about Jesus. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. They told others about Jesus in the face of opposition, and people were saved. They told others about Jesus in the face of opposition, believing clearly that it was good news. They told others about Jesus in the face of opposition, and King Jesus did amazing things. 
saving people and establishing churches. And so we see the advance of God's kingdom in the face of opposition. That's normal. Now, I'm not going to get you to stand up or, or name and shame you, but there are a bunch of people in our congregation who you know, reasonably regularly exercise and go to the gym. And of course, there's the old saying when you go to the gym, isn't there? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain, and it's true. But the reality is this, right? If you didn't believe it was going to do anything good, you wouldn't go. If it was just pain and no gain, you wouldn't go unless you had some problems, maybe. Right? If it was pain and no gain, you wouldn't be bothered. I wonder as we've gone through the book of Acts, if that's the way we often think about telling others about Jesus. Or we've, we've come to think that way. Oh, they won't be interested. They won't be interested in that. It won't do anything if I, if I speak up about the gospel. It'll just make things more difficult for me. It'll be pain and no gain. So why bother? Friends, I want to tell you today that I think that is a lie of the evil one to discourage you as one of God's people and us as the people of God from mission. It's an all-out attack notice on the gospel itself because it says this, the message of Jesus has no power and it cannot save. That's what it says, actually. And the sad reality is, is this, if we buy that lie, we will never tell anyone about Jesus because we'll only ever see it as, as pain with no possible gain. So why would you? Why would you? And even more tragic we will actually say people's no for them. They won't be interested. Why would I tell them? They won't be interested. But you know the reality is this. Every single one of us in this room at some point was saying no to Jesus until the good news of his death and resurrection brought us from death to life. I know for sure that I would have said that I wouldn't have been interested. But here I am today. And it's the same is true for all of us. Our hearts by nature are hostile to God and say no. But the message of Jesus has the power to renew and transform our hearts so that they are freed up from their slavery and see God in his kindness and mercy and suddenly say, yes. So, 
I want to urge you today, let's refuse to buy into the lie that the message of Jesus is not powerful to save. Let us live in the reality that God's kingdom does advance through telling people about Jesus, and yes, there'll be some opposition. Friends, imagine if we left today with a renewed confidence to live and speak for Jesus this week. Confidence not in ourselves, not in our cleverness or skill or in our wisdom or our strength, but in the reality of the personal presence of God by his spirit in our hearts and the powerful message of salvation in Jesus on our lips. Imagine. I don't know where God scatters you during the week. I'd love to see a map, wouldn't you? You've seen those maps with the show all the flights where all the planes are going. Wouldn't it be great to see a map of where just you, we were all going during the week? I reckon we'd be taken aback how much area and places we covered. Imagine if we stepped into this week with that kind of renewed confidence. May God, by his grace, give us such confidence to believe that the gospel is powerful and that we're indwelt by his spirit to live for him wherever he's placed us. Speak the good news as he opens up opportunities for us to do so. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for the power of the good news of your Son, our Saviour, the one who is Lord the one who is the Christ, the King who saves by his death and by his resurrection. Father, we thank you that it's powerful, that it's enough to bring us from death to life, to secure our eternity and indeed to make us suitable vessels for your spirit. Father, what a wonderful message we have. What a wonderful reality we can know through your son. Father, please help us. Please forgive us where we've, we have bought the lie that the gospel won't have, make a difference in our communities, in our networks, in our workplaces, in our friendships. Please strengthen and encourage us. Please help us to make sure that the message we proclaim is him and not some other message about people altering their behaviour or stopping this, or, but about Jesus Christ who is Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness to us. And Lord, as you send us out into the week, Lord, lift our eyes, fill us with courage and kindness 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.